Welcome to the Pair to Win podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver, here at Dane Lee. Uh, today we got a little bit of a quick episode for you. A um, couple things before we get started, a um, little bit of little announcements. Um, if you have not signed up, if you're an Olympic weightlifter and have not signed up or know people that would want to sign up, um, May 21st and 22nd uh, of this year, here just in whatever, I think I think it's about 10 weeks out, maybe a little bit further than that. Um, <clears throat> at the gym, we're having, uh, well, Rubber City is putting on their weightlifting meet. A lot of money is involved, I mean, for a, especially for a weightlifting meet. Um, first place, $500. Second place, $250. And third place is free entry to next year's meet. Um, and that's for best male, female, junior male, and junior female. So there's some money getting pushed out. So... Uh, if you know someone that is an Olympic weightlifter and wants to sign up, let them know. Uh, I think you can go to the USAW website and find the meet. Again, that's May 21st and 22nd, so quick little thing so I don't forget it. Um, <clears throat> so today we're basically just going to answer some questions that we got, uh, try to make this a little bit quicker episode. Um, you know, some of these, for people that have been listening for a while, you'll know that we can get ranty and get wild and <laughs> there'll be long podcasts. And then other times we try to condense them a little bit. Um, you know, lately we've been both pretty busy, so it's kind of hard to link up schedules and put out uh, long podcasts or just a podcast in general. So that's why you've seen some um, where we've missed a week or so. So um, anyway, we'll dive right in. Um, when is a good time to take coaching into your own hands? So... Uh, to me, I think that everyone at some point should coach themselves. Uh, I think, honestly, I look at it two ways. Because if you get a coach in the beginning, it can really help the learning curve as long as the coach is halfway competent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, you know, there there's coaches that don't pay attention to a lot of technical things, uh, don't give the proper feedback, don't teach you right. So that can also set you further in to where then you get with another coach and they have to back you off and repair things right yeah so so it's kind of double-edged sword there of like you know there's good and there's bad and it's you know you might you might be better off always coaching yourself um now i will say especially once you get going a little bit it might be better to find a coach and at least try having a coach or two Mm-hmm. So you can learn from them. You can get varying opinions. You can uh, maybe train a little bit differently if they have you trained differently than you have been. Um, you know, the outside eye, the outside, you know, unbiased opinion is very helpful. Oh, that's um, huge. And I've seen that as well. Like I, you know, I did pretty well coaching myself. Um, I forget. God, it's been it's been a little while now. Um I think I got into like the low 1800s, you know, on my own. Um, okay. Behind, I have to look up my meets. <laughs> That's all. Uh, so what I did is, you know, when I felt like, okay, I'm being pretty biased to myself. And at the time I had actually hit like a, I cut to 220 and I'd hit like a hundred and something pound PR at 220. Um, but it was the first time that my total had actually gone down in a meet, right? And uh, what I go? Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, so I totaled seventeen ninety five. Sorry, not quite eighteen hundred. I totaled seventeen ninety five. Um, you know, I squatted six seventy five, benched four forty five, and deadlifted six seventy five. Um, that meet before I had ever like got formal coaching or anything. Um, but that next meet, I went down to 1741. Now, mind you, I, I did a cut to 220, but I just had kind of a shitty meet. Um, and I looked back at like some of the programming. It, it wasn't, um, I, I was driving myself further than I, cause you're expecting like, you know, your body, I'm going right. to recover and all this stuff. And I was being, I wasn't looking at it from a non-biased lens. I was thinking that I was going to recover when I actually didn't because I wanted mm-hmm. that meat fucking dead. Um, now, that was the meat where like I 
didn't really sleep much at all heading into the meet. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a few hours uh, over a couple days and stuff. So I'm sure that had some effect to it, but I just still like, I just wasn't ready. Yeah. I, I pushed myself way too hard uh, during prep. But anyway, so at that point, um, I went out, you know, got a coach, learned some things, you know, got a little bit better. Um, and I think the, the big thing for me was to have someone look in, tell me this is your weak points, build up those weak points. Mm-hmm. Every week the program came through, I just worked, right? right? I didn't have to overthink things and all that stuff. I had to focus on bettering my technique, putting in the work, and just moving through training, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think good times – you know, if you if you're looking for a good time to take training into your own hands, um, that that's hard to say because it could be like me after you feel like you've just had a bad meet and you're just you know kind of down the dumps and feel like you're on a road to nowhere almost. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or it could be like, man, I just want to take my training to the next level, or I I feel like I could know more uh, getting coached by someone else. Um, now, if you're going to start off being coached. Maybe start off being coach, but then maybe take coaching into your own hands, you know, and, and try to see how you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people that do it that way find out it's a lot harder than what they expected. Yeah. And it's not as easy as having a coach because I've had people that have done it where um, they're kind of newer, you know, and they'll come be coached for a while. And they're oh, I want to try to see what I can do on my own. This happens both in nutrition and programming. And uh, usually – Within a year, they're coming back, and mm-hmm. you know they, it's it's not as easy as what everyone thinks, especially when you're trying to coach yourself. You know, I find that it's for me at least easier to focus on other people than to focus on myself. Um, yeah, I would agree. And uh, that unbiased lens, you know, like you talk about, that's it's hard to look at what you need to do even if you have like an expert eye on the movement and then take out those other factors. Like you said, like, is this person actually recovering as a coach? If you're watching them move, regardless of what the movement is and you can tell they're tired. Yeah. You get to then not have any ego or stake in it. It's just like, no, these are the facts. Like I can tell you're tired. We need to adjust the programming. But in your case, like you were saying, like you anticipated how the body was going to recover. Mm Mm-hmm. And you had that end up affecting what you were doing in the moment and that ends up affecting what you're doing as you're going to the meet. I think that in a way, like kind of what you've talked about in the past where like, even if you have a coach, you should be trying to find that information mm-hmm. on your own. You should be trying to like recognize like, are there gaps that the coach might not see? Cause they're yeah. not there every time. They're not going to see every rep, but you do. And if you can, have it in your head like you're going to coach yourself in those gaps mm-hmm. and try to fill in then i mean that should yeah. happen from the very beginning yeah i think you got a good point there like um you know coaches we we do only get to see one two videos from a session a little bit of feedback mm-hmm. you know you know how those other sets moved you know how your accessories felt you know how you're feeling outside of training like you're you know you're getting a hundred percent of the information we're getting such a small amount, Mm -hmm. you know, in the grand scheme of things. So, um, you know, I think even if you are being coached by someone else and you have a program and things that you, like you said, you do need to take some other things into your own hands there and be able to coach and fill in the gaps. As you said, like uh, your coach isn't going to hold your hand and be there every single rep. So, um, yeah, I think that was, that's good there. Um, you know, the, I see, you know, it's hard because I see it from both ends. I see people have coached themselves for way too long and gotten nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they drastically perform better once they're with a coach. And, um, you know, I've seen people that are with their coaches getting nowhere. So they might do better by themselves. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's, it's very hard to say. But, um, you know, if you feel like, you know, don't feel like you're obligated to ever stick to your coaching, like, you feel like you're better off on your own if you feel like 
there's other options or you feel like you're, you know, you're not getting what you're paying for, you know, kind of thing, then Mm -hmm. there's always other coaches or there's yourself. So, um, I don't know if you should push or back off in training. Oh God. (sighs) It's a classic question. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things I would first suggest go back and listen to a lot of the episodes on this podcast. Um, when we've (laughs) talked about fatigue, when we've talked about, um, you know, different phases and things like that, nutrition. Do you have any idea of the context they're talking about? Like, like what point in the training or in what way do they mean? I think they just mean like, hold on. They probably mean like on like a macro uh, cycle is like, okay, when should I be pushing my training? Uh, So take like the off season, for example, like, you know, quote unquote off season. Um, Let's say it's seven, eight months to the next meet. Okay. You probably should not be pushing heavy weights at, um, unless you just did a meet two months ago. Okay. Hmm. At that, you know, eight weeks post meat mark you're, it's probably not the still not the time to be pushing heavy weights like i think people think and this happens with a lot of new uh lifters is that they hit these numbers in the meat oh i should three months later four months later be able to hit better numbers so i'm just going to keep pushing up so they immediately go back to lifting kind of heavy right. post meat um so again this this works um for <laughs> pretty much everyone um you know, you'll notice like my clients, uh, myself, we don't lift to our highest potential all year round. Yeah. Is there a risk of like, okay, missing some upside potential if you're not pushing hard enough at certain points? Yes. Cause if you run out of time and you don't have enough time to get up to those higher weights, mm-hmm. you're fucked. Right. But you have to go with and get uh, bumble in there. <laughs> You have to um, go with what the training is giving you. Mm-hmm. So, meaning, if you're trying to lift weight, let's say a four by four at eighty percent or something, and you're, you know, let's say four months post meet, okay, and you have, uh, what I say, so, and you have five months left to the next meet. All right. And let's say like that just ain't happening. Like you just feel weak as shit and like, you know, you need to down the percentage, Mm -hmm. right? Or um, let's say it feels great. Okay. You might be able to take it up a little bit more and up a little bit more and up a little bit more. So what you have to be careful of is to not take yourself to where you're lifting too heavy um, and you're kind of somewhat peaking out three months, four months out from the meet then you have to come back down to be able to go back up. So there's not enough time in that cycle to be able to get back to a higher level. Right. Um, now, yes, this can be, um, swayed and stuff by drugs. Um, it can, you know, differ depending on if you're dialed in on sleep, nutrition, Mm -hmm. uh, recovery protocols. Um, but what a lot of people don't understand is like, there's a difference between being a drug on drugs and not being on drugs. All right. Huge difference in the way you need to train. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people that are natty or, um, you know, maybe you take slurms or something, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, you're not gonna be able to train the same way as someone who's blasting and taking stuff all year round. Right. Um, it's, it's not going to work out for you generally. Um, not to say there's not some outliers that can train a little bit heavier, but there's so many things to take into account when you're, Oh God, I'm going to go down this. Rabbit <laughs> hole, I just realized, but you got to take into account leverages, movement efficiency. Um, and then, you know, genetic potential, all that stuff. Like mm-hmm. some people are able to train a certain way because they're actually not using as much as you think because of the leverages, because of the movement efficiency. Right. Mm-hmm. So, the better your movement is, the usually the harder you can kind of push because you're not actually not taxing the body as hard right. and it's able to recover better, right? So this is why, for all of you that are my clients listening, that I preach getting your technique together so much. Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, you know, when you're going to push is generally 
when you're getting close to a meet. Now, if you have a long gap, nine months, then I'm not saying you can't push a little bit, you know, in that mid-off season, but then you're going to have to tone it back and make sure you're not uh, too deconditioned when you're coming into prep. So what I mean by that is not go do conditioning per se. What I mean by that is you might have to come back. Let's say you're hitting um, some some schemes at like, you know, you're five months out, but hey, you can hit a three by three at 90% of your max. Okay, that's a good indicator that you're able to push up. Let's find, you know, some common ground here. Let's just kind of keep working it up. But maybe you need to tone it back uh, about a block or two from then. So that way, when you tone it back a little bit, then you have something to peek into. Right. If you have nothing to peek into, you're going to end up getting hurt, being too fatigued, or um, getting uh getting burned out as i like to say it mentally because you can only once you get especially when you get to heavier weights you can only go in and just constantly push those heavy weights for so long um and i know um someone like uh ed Cohn, you know said something along these lines i'm gonna mm-hmm. fuck this quote up but he talked about like you know the, the human body only has so many i think he was talking like 800 pound lifts in it or something yeah. in its given lifetime and like if you use them all up in training <laughs> what are you going to have in the meat right you know right. so um understand like you know some of you guys are trying to train like jamal browner go go watch the way one jamal browner's built to his technique mm-hmm. like there, there's a complete difference between him and you. Like, it is, it's like trying to take an NFL athlete and compare him with a guy that went to D3, you know, uh, football and didn't even start. You know what I mean? It's like... They might technically practice the same position. They are not playing the same you're way. You're not playing the same way. So, um, you know, and you, you know, on the female side, like, understand, like, just because someone doesn't look like they're on a massive amount of gear doesn't mean they're not. So, like, understand that, you know, that person that you're trying to train like and emulate, they might be on growth hormone, uh, Anavar, MPP, you know, mm-hmm. who knows? They might even be taking low-dose test, mm-hmm. you know, and you're natural. Like, you can't follow someone else's programming or try to train like them just because they train that way. You know, it's there's so many different variables to it so i i think the big takeaway is you know you need to listen one listen to your body but then two pay attention to how those percentage weights are moving and where you're at in training right i watch a guy i I know i'm i'm going here yeah go for it but i watch a guy uh (laughs) my hands are flat i'm italian all right um so like i watch this guy and he trains his girlfriend and you know they both just started following me a while back and i just kind of see their shit and i watch like almost every session oh i'm sorry every session Mm -hmm. is grinding it doesn't matter they change up the rep scheme whatever but every last rep two reps three Mm -hmm. reps is grind it's fucked up form it's straps hitching you know knees bending unlocking locking again like Mm -hmm. just horrendous technical stuff and you're just waiting for the post of i got hurt right right and this guy was like talking about how oh i'll get this all cleaned up and i compete in like may um um bro i don't want to be the one to tell you but you're not going to hit the weights you were in training i'm just going to tell you that now you know it's like you know, what I mean? but no you don't, you don't want to be a dick. You don't want to be a dick, right. you know, right. but it's like, you almost want to say something like, Hey man, like pump the brakes. You're going too hard. Clean your technique up. That's not going to count in train in, in the meat. That's not going to count in the meat. That's not going to count in the meat. Get it together or else you're going to embarrass yourself. Right. You know, like, but offended 2022, you can't say anything to people. You just got to let them kind of go down their own path sometimes, yeah. you know, but, um, you know, those people that constantly push, push and push and training generally get burned out or hurt by the time they get to a prep. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> the comment you made about how people have this misunderstanding of how you can train, like when you're on things versus when you're natural, has been a lot more apparent to me, like over the years being in the sport. Mm-hmm. 
where I think the outside perception is, well, we have the same program, but they're on drugs, I'm not. It's like, no. Like, what you're watching them do is a very different program. Yeah. So if you're watching, like you said, like if you're watching someone and you don't realize that they might be on something and you see the program, immediately you think, well, I should be doing what they're doing because mm-hmm. they can do it. Yeah. Or they're getting better results doing the same thing I am. It's like, no, that's yeah. it's not how it works. But from the recovery standpoint, this is why I really like when athletes are given RPE. Because if you watch a video and the coach says, like, that needs to be a seven to eight. Mm-hmm. And it, like you said, it's grinding. It's like you have a good indication of where their nervous system is mm-hmm. based on how it looks with what you had intended to give them. Yeah. And they might be, let's say, 20 pounds under what the anticipated weight at for a seven or eight might be. But if they're grinding that hard at a lower weight, that gives me a lot of feedback to be able to help them out with what might be going on. Yeah. Well, you get, yeah, you get people, I, I see this all the time in clients, where like, you know, I'll give them RPs and they're overshooting all the time. Mm-hmm. And first of all, like, I'll take your RP real quick. Like, you don't get RP anymore if you're mm-hmm. constantly overshooting. You know, in the beginning, everyone kind of does it. Like, I, that's why I try to get them into it and get them acclimated yeah. to it. But like, um, you know, the people that overshoot, then they get to the end of the block or they get to the next block and they're like, fuck that felt heavy and it's something that shouldn't have felt heavy yeah. it's like this is what i was trying to tell you right it's like that you know you wait like you hit the eights you hit the seven fives you hit the eight fives and then when we fucking send it we send it mm-hmm. all right and by the time this podcast comes out you guys are gonna see uh go uh what's what's Bree's instagram uh da, 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 da. but Bree, you're gonna watch her absolutely shred a fucking deadlift uh briotine power underscore pwr briotine underscore pwr all right and you're gonna go back and you're gonna see these deadlifts that she's just smoking you know 330s you know mm-hmm. 320s 315s you know right and a couple weeks ago um earlier in this block she hit i think it was like 355 for a double and it was pretty clean right okay and we're backed off and we're, you know, doing these sets at in like the three thirties, three twenties and all this. And then you're going to see her as long as God, don't embarrass me, Brie. Hopefully her recovery is <laughs> good, but you're going to see her absolutely smoke three seventy five next week. Right. I didn't send it to 400 or anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but you're going to see like these training weights you're hitting, with good technique, you know, it, it's it, it's somewhat difficult. It's difficult enough to progress, right? Right. And then we jump it, you know, 40 pounds or whatever above mm-hmm. that, and we and we rip that weight. And it's going to move to where it's going to look like, oh, man, she had more left for the day. But that's not the fucking point, right? right? Point is build confidence, right? So now that 375, now we know that 400 is going to be there. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of when. You know, and you can use and, everything in the tank. Yeah. And and also, like, Bree's a natural athlete. So, like, Bree's one of those girls that, like, you know, when she, on a bad day, I think she missed, screwed up her squats or something. She still totaled, like, 930 uh, at 148. And she's one of those that, you know, she can total 1,000 natural at 148. All mm-hmm. she just needs to do is put together the meat, right? Right. Um, and she's one that like, you know, you just hope that like, like, I mean, if she ever, it's again, athlete's choice, but like if she ever was on things, I mean, it's a big jump. You're going to see her come into the 148s, 165s pretty damn quick, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I know this because I've watched how people train. So, you know, there's people that have been taking drugs for years and years in multiple cycles a year that might total, you know, 1050, 1100 at 148, 165, you know, and like you got girls out there, you know, and this is on the guy side too. Like you get them on just a little bit and they're going to be ridiculous. But anyway, um, but that's kind of the point, you know, you shouldn't always be pushing, but you always, you know, shouldn't always be backed off either. Um, how do you judge how much sodium to take in and water to drink? Okay, so um, 
the sodium one's kind of a loaded question there because there's a lot involved in that and most people aren't willing to do what it takes to kind of find out uh how much sodium they should be taking in um <laughs> I'm laughing because we had talked about the Huberman yeah. podcast where he spent literally two hours just talking about sodium. And it's like, all right, let's do a Q&A on this one <laughs> Yeah, in five minutes. Yeah. So if you actually want to listen to that podcast, it'll give you some uh, good insight. Was it Huberman Lab or something? Yeah. Or, um, Holy hell, is it dense? Yeah, it's Huberman Lab. Um, you can go on there and it's, it's in the past couple episodes and he talks about sodium and stuff. I will tell you now, if you have not been to college and taken, uh, some, some chemistry and biology, like, I mean, try to think like if you're not pre-med, basically, <laughs> like, yeah. basically if you're not pre-med, it might be a little bit much for you. Um, put it this like, you know, we can connect the dots and mm-hmm. we like I understood everything he was saying but the depth between those dots yeah it makes me feel like I'm an idiot oh yeah <laughs> like, that's it, but these are you guys these are researchers these are this is what they this do. is what they do they are doctors that are you know researching these things constantly so um you know we always talk about like all oh, these coaches like they don't know much and um that's that's the thing. It's like yes, we we can be on kind of a a, a little bit of an upper level, but the like when you get dialed in with a researcher, they'll make you feel retarded. Yeah, um, and that's just what they do. You know, that is their whole thing um, is researching specific things. So. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so if you really want to know how much sodium to take in, I guess the basic indicators would help by. Uh, one kind of monitoring your blood pressure, like where it goes, how it reacts to certain sodium, Mm. um, certain amounts of sodium, um, how you're able to perform on a, on a give on a daily basis, like how well you're, this is kind of going to go with the water. So I'll just kind of mention now, like the color of your urine, Mm. uh, how often you're going, it's kind of a, a good indicator. So um, basically like, you know, with the how often you're going thing, you'll notice this thing. This is why we do like sodium water loads and then we cut the sodium and continue drinking water and all flushes out. Um, when it binds into water, sodium water kind of bind, like it's able to pull the water with it, right? So like, let's say I have a day today, I'm gonna go eat 5,000 milligrams of sodium, right? Uh, 6,000 milligrams of sodium. Okay. Okay. And then tomorrow, I'm gonna just cut it out almost completely. I'm gonna try to only eat maybe like under a thousand. Oof, okay. I'm probably gonna piss all day. Mm-hmm. Like every, within the hour, every hour, maybe even twice an hour for a while. I'm just pulling out of you. And you're gonna pee a lot, right? Um, it's because the half life of, you know, uh, half life of salt is. Uh, I think it's. I always fuck this up. Sixteen hours. Oh, um, you got me. Ish. It's fifteen to eighteen hours, depending on who you're talking to or whatever. So, um, typically within that eighteen hour period, we see that if you have a reduction in sodium, then you're going to end up. Uh, flushing the sodium out and pissing it out basically and when you pee it's going to pull more water out of you especially Mm. if you're continuing to drink water all right so this is why it's important to have like kind of a level playing field with sodium so sometimes your training can be from good hydration bad hydration right Mm. so i've had where people um didn't keep their sodium at an even level and they took in a bunch of sodium and oh my God, squats felt great. Bench felt great. Everything felt great. Mm-hmm. You know, then they take in where they don't get a lot of sodium. They end up peeing a lot and all that. And they're, cause they're still drinking their water and they're mm-hmm. like, I don't know what happened. I was hydrated. No, you weren't. You, the water flushed oh. straight through you. You didn't have any sodium with it. You mean they accidentally took in a lot of sodium? Yeah. Okay. So like, sorry, I should have It wasn't like clarified. intention. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I always talk about like trying to keep your sodium kind of even okay, gotcha. every day or within range, you know, because this can happen where someone took in uh, plenty of sodium and things felt great and the water's there and you're mm-hmm. retaining and all that. And then 
they get into the week into another workout and they're like, well, I don't know. Like I felt like I was hydrated and I felt like I was drinking water. Well, one, you probably didn't drink as much water because when you do have sodium, it's going to increase thirst and you're mm. going to drink more. Right. So there's that. The other side of that is you probably uh, didn't retain as much, obviously, because you didn't have the sodium in you. Mm -hmm. So that we could be talking about a couple pound body weight sway, not to mention yeah. the dehydration and the muscle itself, mm -hmm. you know, that you don't see, you're not, you don't have a microscope in your body. You can't see that. Right. So we can have a 10% reduction instantly in performance. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh, just, just through uh, salt reduction and dehydration. What was, it's like a two pound loss of weight in like water weight equals a X amount of percent of performance decrease, like 10 to 15. Yeah. It's something like something that. Like that. Yeah. Like I know those numbers aren't exactly right, but yeah, it's, it's going to different bodies, but yeah. I mean, if I said to you right now, here's this one thing that you could do and it will increase or decrease your performance by 10%, like at an upper level, the needle never moves that much. Mm -mm. Like to be able to move at one or 2% at yeah. an elite level is massive and the and bigger and the better you are the bigger the sway so, so to say that something as simple as you know the proper ratio of water and salt for that hydration can move 10 to 15 percent that's enormous yeah um so like right now i have a client uh we're working on because i noticed this um i just took her on before the arnold she was doing a deadlift uh the deadlift comp there and we started working nutrition programming and all that but um, when we went to water cut out, you know, it was a good time to test cause it was just kind of deadlift only. And, um, I usually wouldn't want to water cut for something like that, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, it was something that she signed up for. It was in that weight class, you know, and it was like, well, it's a good time to kind of figure out her body. Right. And I'm kind of glad we did because I found out that she doesn't take in hardly any sodium in her diet. So it didn't take much sodium at all for her to gain a lot. And then we noticed some things whenever we cut the sodium continued water, how her her body flushed initially a little bit, mm -hmm. but then it held and retained and didn't because she was deficient initially and, and didn't want to get rid of it, right? Oh. So her um her typical diet was within uh, about fifteen hundred to two thousand milligrams sodium. Oh wow! And um, you know, she's not like. A, a huge person, but she's, you know, in the one thirties, okay. um, pretty lean, you know, female and stuff. It's like, so we need to get her body acclimated to take in a little bit more sodium to where she's not bloated, can't walk around, can't move fingers are fat and you know, right. everything else. So your body will become accustomed to taking in more sodium. Um, now again, not medical advice. If you have uh, some internal organ problems or things like that. Mm -hmm. There's that's a different ball game. All right. We're talking about normal, healthy people, um, athletes. Let's put it as athletes. Um, so, you know, how to figure and calculate that sodium is something that we need to pay attention to all those things that I mentioned in the beginning and then try to slowly manipulate upwards until we find our good spot. And when we mm -hmm. find our good spot, we might be there for a little bit and we might be able to continue on. But first we got to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Now the other side of like, take someone like her who is also uh, a little bit lower on the food side. So lower carbs, things like that. We're probably going to be able to retain more water just from having more carbs as well. So there's that. I feel like I'm getting kind of deep into here, but um, I feel like we're still good though. Okay. We're still, still touching the baseline here. <laughs> um, I just don't want to, to become too ranty but anyway so that kind of i think that kind of answers the sodium thing a little bit i mean um as a a point to add to it you can't know where you are until you're or you can't know what to do like you're saying mm -hmm. until you actually are tracking it and counting it yeah and the one thing that i took away from huberman's thing is where he made the distinction and i knew it but it like he put it in words that i really liked where people mistake salt and sodium yeah. it's like yeah it's a source of sodium but they're like well i don't put salt on my food that doesn't mean you're not taking in sodium, yeah, which is a really strong reason for doing macro counting, where if you're already tracking food, it's a lot easier to go back and see, all right, how much sodium was in there. Yeah. Because yeah. some people are getting way more than they need. And mm -hmm. in this one lifter's case, she was way under. Yeah. And you'll be surprised, um, not to cut you off, no, but no. you'll be surprised some food you eat. Like go uh, look at the back of cottage cheese. 
and see how I think it's uh, 400 milligrams per half cup of, of mm-hmm. cottage cheese. Half cup isn't a, isn't a ton, you know. And there's 400 milligrams of sodium in that. Right. Um, so, you know, there are to me like what she was doing was eating a very whole food, clean cut diet mm-hmm. and probably adding a little bit of salt to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like uh, I can't remember chicken. I think it's like 200 milligrams per however many ounces but i think it depends on like if they the do any of the, the broth on it too or yeah because um, you can get like lower sodium without the stuff but anyway mm-hmm. you can move on uh what was i saying oh about like counting macros and yeah. whatnot and being underneath because so as an example uh, my older sister had like she constantly craves salt mm-hmm. just constantly we'll come to find out that her as an individual, like she processes sodium super fast. Yep. So she goes through it quickly. And as a result, often has low blood pressure. Mm. So in one case where we say like, well, you can monitor your blood pressure and that gives you an idea if you're having like too much, if it kind of sways in that direction, you could also, as long as you're doing some of these biometrics, find out good indications of if you don't have enough. Mm-hmm. So that goes into talking when I know I won't do the rabbit hole, but you start having effects on that. That's go, that'll affect sleep. That affects whole recovery. Mm-hmm. You start changing the amount of water in the body that changes leverages and efficiency and yep. to rabbit hole. So, so we, when we talk about like variables, like everyone, I know you guys think it's just like these surface things, but these are the type of things we also think about mm-hmm. um, that you guys should be thinking about and paying attention to what you're doing, your daily diets. Um, we'll worry about why, as long as yeah. people are doing the tracking to give yeah. us the information yeah. we need to figure out the why. Exactly. Um, and like you said, like I know Lindsay, Lindsay takes a, can take in a fuck ton of sodium, um, where I can't, you know, do as much. Um, and I used to be, I'm, you know, I, I'm getting a little older, so I got to watch sometimes, but I used to be able to just like, like sugars didn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I was good to go. Um, so it's like, you know, some people's bodies are just different. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as water, kind of a golden rule that I like to do. Yeah. Um, so for most athletes, um, again, these are athletes, people that are working out. Um, I like to do 75% per pound body weight in ounces. Okay. Okay. So um, you'll take your body weight times, you know, 0.75 whatever that is in ounces. All right. And then you'll do the, um, the Galpin equation from there. Um, which for those who don't know what the Galpin equation is, it's your body weight in pounds divided by 30. Now that amount of, uh, water in ounces, right? So, um, I'll do like mine real quick. Okay. So, is that the every 15 minutes? Yeah, every 15 minutes for exercise. For, yeah. So someone who's, okay, there's, I'm just going to run math real quick. So someone who's 200 pounds, we'll divide that by 30. That's 6.66, right? Um, that's a bad number. Mark, to, mark of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I pick that number? Shit. Let's go to 205 pounds. <laughs> uh, let's go to 225. Let's get rid of that number real quick. Um, so that would be seven and a half, right? 225 divided by 30. Um, now that 7.5 ounces per 15 minutes of exercise is what they need to get into their body at some point. You don't need to drink that all during your exercise. You need to, at some point equate for that. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, that means don't drink any water during your exercise, but, um, you need to equate for this. So let's assume for simple math that they work out for an hour. Mm Mm-hmm. So we're going to take the 7.5, we're going to times it by four. They need to add 30 ounces of water to their daily um, intake, right? So if we take the 225 times the uh, 75%, 168, sorry, I'm doing all this math, 198. So if you did that right, hopefully everyone was doing that. Um, for And again, this is a basic equation. It's going to... Uh, change for um, muscle mass, how much you're moving, mm-hmm. you know, all these things. But basically, they should be taking in roughly a gallon and a half a day. All right. Which is close ish to right. Is that 
including the exercise? That's including okay. your exercise water. Okay. So, um, and if you think of that, you know, this thing here, uh, that'd be like me drinking six of those in a day. Mm -hmm. I drink, oh, I'm sorry, I think this is bigger. It'd be like drinking five of these in a day. Okay. All right. And I drink one and a half of these just from the start of warmups to the end of my, like end of workout and recovery. Mm -hmm. So I'll go through a full one and then I'll get through like half, you know, and that's just then I drink almost a full one within the first hour and a half that I'm up. What is that? Is that 32? Is that a little more? I, th I think those are 40 ounces. 40 ounces? Okay. Yeah. So you're probably looking at 40 to 60 ounces throughout the workout. Making sure I did all the math mm -hmm. to the 225, right? But, um, you know, and that, that's a roundabout. That's somewhere good to start. Now, some people, it might be, um, it might be lower, you know, it might be higher. Mm -hmm. Uh, it just, it just kind of depends. Some people I do take down closer to like a, a 70% model, 65% model. Mm -hmm. It just really depends on a multi-factor thing of like how often they're moving through the day, uh, you know, job, all that stuff, what the heat conditions are or the, oh, yeah. um, or if it's really cold and dry, things mm -hmm. like that. But like where they're located essentially, um, <clears throat> And then, you know, what kind of environment they work out in. Is it commercial gym? Is it air conditioning? Is it, you know, like ours where it's hot as hell in the summer? Mm -hmm. um, excuse me. Um, their leanness, you know what I mean? All these things come into play. For, you know, anyone that I take on that might be taking drugs, like what kind of drugs you're taking. That's a big one, yeah. You know, things like that. Um, and then remember account for medications, caffeine, you know, mm -hmm. all this stuff you have to account for. So some people might think of that, like, man, a gallon and a half, like for some people, they think that's not enough. Others might think that's a lot, you know? Um, that is something I hear. It's like people are like, Oh, I'm not that thirsty. I can't drink all that. It's like, I'm not telling you right now. Yeah. When you start that, like build yourself up, but yeah, part of the reason yourself, yeah, like, yeah. part of the reason that you're not thirsty is because you've gotten your body to like kind of acclimate to this low intake. Yeah. That's what it's used to. Yeah. Like you have to kind of get that to adapt to a higher intake. That, and that was full, you know, when we were started the podcast. Oh, really? So, like right Two before. Thirds. So, you know, we're about 20 ounces in, you know. So, <clears throat> you know, that's, that's just kind of a, a guideline. Again, these are guidelines. This isn't like the end all, like you have to do it that right. way. Um, other people have different equations that they go off of. Um, it's just a, a thing that I've felt comfortable starting people at and figuring it out from there. So dumbest thing you've ever seen someone do with their nutrition. Okay. So, so we're at 44 minutes right now. Do you want this to be its own podcast? <laughs> yes. Um, I, I'm going to condense, I'm going to condense that. Um, I've always said, we've repeated this one a lot. I think one of the dumbest things is when someone told me that macros didn't work for them. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best. Um, I, I think, and I want to say what they meant was like trying to track their macros didn't work for them. Yeah. You know, but I, I, I literally think they, they thought that the like macros was the diet, like macros don't work for me. Well then food doesn't work for you because <laughs> it's right. <laughs> It's literally so that's classic one we, we've repeated that one a bunch but um i think one of the dumbest things i've ever seen this actually came from a coach too um is someone took uh like liquid version magnesium citrate to cut for a powerlifting meat and as like a laxative yeah as a laxative oh god so they ate and drank water and all that stuff and i think like 24 hours from out from their weigh-in they started taking um they start taking magnesium like as a laxative to if you've ever uh, had a surgery that needed this uh, colonoscopy, a, anything, um, you know how dumb this was because it's not, <laughs> you literally excrete so much. Uh, first of all, all the poopy in you is gone, um, but also you excrete so much water from the body and that still has a semi lasting effect that even when you try to start to rehydrate the body and refeed the body, mm -hmm. 
things don't usually settle well for about a day or two. Yeah. Um, and it takes some time to get rehydrated and feel good. Uh, you'll usually feel kind of off for a few days, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they tried the IV thing and all that. Uh, long story short, they got injured at their meet. So, wow. um, hmm. <laughs> wonder, wonder if that had anything to do with it. But that was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. I like, it's all right. Um, I'm not even a big person on taking diuretics, like a mm -hmm. diuretic pill to start a water cut. Um, you know, but it's possible. You could possibly do it. I usually use a little bit of uh, caffeine, like a little bit of black coffee straight up um, to kind of help mm -hmm. get things going. Uh, is usually what I recommend for people. And some people can get away with a diuretic, but it's not a... Again, you you don't want to put anything in that could possibly have a lasting effect. Do you got you got one that's? I'm trying. Like the thoughts come to mind. Like I've known people who did carnivore. I've known people who uh, decided to be a distance runner on keto. And it's like you can kind of do it. And just because someone survives, it doesn't mean that it's a smart idea. Yeah, that it really works. Um, I knew a gymnast who had such a low calorie intake that they started to develop uh like shin splints because their body was like oh uh, like take like taking calcium yeah out of the so bones yeah. yeah um so things like that i'm trying to think okay so the one i remember laughing out loud when we had this conversation we were like as a group we were at dinner and somebody had mentioned the uh forks over knives mm -hmm. documentary where they talked about how you can be a better athlete if you're vegan instead of eating meat. Mm -hmm. And I just very matter-of-factly is like, well, I find that confusing because, well, like, we're, what are your protein sources? And somebody mentioned, well, the big one is like, um, you know, beans and uh, rice kind of thing, like the complementary. Yeah. And you can, like, bring the aminos together to form protein. And, right. Yeah, okay. So it's like, well, how do they account for the excess carbs that come with it in order for you to like hit your protein intake. What about mm -hmm. the th things that they found with like GMO when it comes to soy and the effect that that has on estrogen levels? I was like, that's not in there. Like, <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> and it just oh, like, God. I, at one point, what was the other one? Or I was asking, um, <laughs> they had the reverse side of it. And I don't know if this was, it wasn't paleo, but it was asking about like, well, if they have all this protein intake that they're coming from here, then, what are they getting as a fuel source that they're going to end up using? Um, they're saying that they're going to rely on protein as a sufficient fuel source in order for the body to take that and like take it through, you know, oh, okay. uh, gluconeogenesis. And I just remembered laughing my ass off at these comments, thinking about it because it's completely like even basic level nutrition science, it mm -hmm. goes against it. Yeah. And there were all these people that were absolutely buying into it. So I can't say that it was like one person who was doing it, yeah. but it was just that concept and hearing so many the, people. The worst thing too with the, that whole thing is, is when pro athletes talk about like how, you know, they're vegan or like you'll see like I, the past couple of years, there's mm -hmm. been like some big college football athletes that have came out like, oh, I switched to vegan in the off season. I feel so much better and this and that. Yeah, because you're 15 pounds lighter and you haven't been eating anything really. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, yours your, doesn't mean internally that you're doing well. The concept of cleaning up your diet does not mean that you have to go vegan. Yeah. Like, there, every person who I hear go vegan will have that. For like, the first three, yeah. four months, they're like, oh, I feel so much better. I don't have or inflammation. A lot of times it's like, oh, I stopped eating, you know, I went vegan, stopped eating meat. But what I didn't tell you is that my meat consisted of like fried chicken and right. fucking, you know, everything you crusted and something. inflammatory foods that you put in your system. Yeah. I didn't tell you that. Oh, and I was, you know, and again, there's, there's just like, we wouldn't say like eat straight carnivore, right? Like, there's, you need to find a, a baseline boundary balance. Like you don't, you don't need to be on extreme sides of one or the other, you know? So the other part that's upsetting when it comes to the whole like going vegan as a pro athlete is that they have the resources and funds to make that work. Yeah. Whereas they're, they're not preparing their own meals. They, the general population, 
could hear that and be like, well, they managed to do it and look how successful they are. It's like, no, they're successful because they're genetic outliers. Yeah. And they put themselves in a position where they can afford to pay for having a vegan lifestyle yeah. while they do this. Most people, 99% of us, no. Yeah. That's not a thing. Well, you know, that's the thing with it. You got to quit looking at people that can afford to do extravagant things that are just unreal. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I've seen people that you could see them online. Like when people switch over into that next tax bracket, you know, that upper level tax bracket, Mm -hmm. their whole look changes because they can afford to get that done. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like go back 10 years before that and look at them or five years before that and look at them and they don't look that way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you see some of these, like, you know, people make this change or look the way they do, like, yes, there's some hard work in there for sure. But like, also like understand these people afford the coaching, the nutrition, a lot, some of them aren't even preparing their own meals. Mm -hmm. Imagine walking down every day and even though you don't really want to eat it, someone's just like, here you go. It's a lot easier to adhere to a diet that way, right? I already made your breakfast for you. There you go. There you go. So, um, have you ever watched like some of those things where it's like, uh, I'm trying to think of like, they've talked about how ignorant like people's money are like my traveling chef. I pay them $70,000 a year. Salary. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, wait, wait, what? Like the numbers don't mean anything to him anymore. Yeah. It doesn't occur to him. Like the guy that washes my cars makes thirty grand a year. Like, wait, what? How often does he wash a car? Yeah, like once a week. <laughs> you pay someone thirty grand a year <laughs> yeah. to wash a car once a week? It's, it's crazy. Like some of the the luxuries that they can afford is, you know, it's a, it's a whole other life. So, all right, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for today. Um, I think we answered all those questions and probably long winded on some of them. So. Um, like the podcast, share the podcast. Uh, if you guys want us to talk about anything, let us know. Uh, we try to put in, you know, questions into our stories every week, uh, that we're going to do podcasts. So drop questions in there. Um, and if you have an idea for what you'd like to hear us talk about, uh, if you want to give us something hard, that'd be fun. You know, give us something (laughs) depthy. Yeah. Clearly we like to go ranty. So, yeah. So, All right. Yeah, that's pretty much it for today. 